Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shinhan. And I'm William Johnson. Ooh, you sound so... Is that a puppet running your name? Is there a hand up here? No, no? Yes, there is a hand up all kinds of things, but it's unrelated to this podcast. But um, are, you, are you sure? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, right. I hope. I hope. Well, well, you know what? I'm not going to complain about it. I'm yep, good. Yep, yep. I, uh, I, I would love to be a meat puppet for somebody else, especially the subject <laughs> of our podcast today. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives and wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy of it is on. This week, we're doing a little editorial. We're here to shower the praises and celebrate the work of, um, I what do we say, special effects artist, makeup extraordinaire, Stan yeah. What What would be the job title of choice for that guy? Well, I was just taking a look because yeah, I was trying to figure that out myself. I mean, yeah. he's, he has won Oscars for both. Uh, visual effects and makeup so i mean yeah. i guess i guess you could say special effects how about that that okay. might be a good way to to do that but um yeah the reason why we're doing it is because i kind of we've done a lot of i think we've done some really cool deep cuts into actors mm-hmm. uh, and i kind of i don't know i was just thinking about it the other day i was just going through some stuff going through my watch list you know i'm trying to complete as we're, we're recording this it's november 11th when we're recording this and you know i've got I've still got about 70 movies to get to get to my goal for the year, which was 400 films. And I was just trying to find like, like I like to go on little streaks and patterns and stuff. And I, and I, I didn't realize that Stan Winston, uh, who's a name that's very synonymous with, you know, some of the greatest, not only the greatest directors, but visual effects and everything. Uh, he had a very small directorial career. So I checked, I checked out all of the movies he directed. And then I just kind of started digging into him a little bit. I think he's kind of got that history to him where he's a name kind of like a Rick Baker that I think a lot of people know the name, but maybe don't quite know how detailed and how immense mm-hmm. the career is. And I thought, why not do a deep cut for someone below the line I as like opposed it. to somebody above? And I thought he would be a great, um, a great one to look at because I think even people that, even people that weren't born when he was, I mean, I'm literally talking about my daughter who was born in 2009, Stan Winston died in 2008. People that weren't even born can see to this day, the work that he's done is still part of the cultural consciousness. So uh, the cultural zeitgeist. So, you know, it's, it's impressive stuff. And I, I figured we'd give him a little tribute. I like it. Um, we're here for that sort of thing. We, we just, you know, we are, we are the cinephiles of cinephiles. If it were, we appreciate all things cinema and this guy when, if if you don't know him or if the name rings a bell here or there, go to Wikipedia, go to IMDb, look up his credits where this man, if you're of, if you're our age in the 30s and 40s and 50s, this man animated and brought to life our complete childhood. And oh, yeah. that that is worth, you know, uh, 35 minutes and an hour show for us to celebrate. So in our true deep cut series, I'm pretty sure we're going to hit the highlights, but also talk about some of our little personal picks along the way. Is that where we're kind of going with this? Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I got, I got my five. Yeah. There's, there's some in there that, uh, some deep I, I think people don't even yeah realize it's him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just got his hand in so much, so many pies, you know, this it's, uh, when you, when you look at his, his career and you're like, Oh, nine Academy award nominations. Like if any one for it feels like you should have like, right. Like he should be like John Williams or something and have like 30 of these things. Like, you know, he's ridiculous. Well, just to be upfront before we go deep, here here's kind of the full gamut of his awards kind of you know take. So he's been nominated for Uno, Dos, Trace, Quattro, Cinco, Cinco, Seis, Siente, Ocho, I said Cinco twice. About ten Oscars. Well, ten, mm-hmm. not nine, ten, because he won two. Ten, yeah. He won, won two, two the same year. Terminator two. That's right. That's yeah, right. so his his four Oscar wins are visual effects for aliens at 87, the double in Terminator two and 92 for visual effects and makeup. And then the best visual effects for Jurassic park two years later in 94, which is, I mean, just huge, massive work. His other nominations were makeup for heart beeps, which I've never seen um, visual effects for predator, which is yes, sir. Yeah. Um, makeup for Edward Scissorhands, which is phenomenal. Um, makeup for Batman Returns, which is a fun little kissy pick. Uh, visual effects for The Lost World Jurassic Park and visual effects for AI artificial intelligence. So that's just the high end of his resume. We will get into some deeper stuff. And are we going back and forth to take turns now, even? 
Um, we can because I, I, I bet we're gonna have similar. Uh, I hope so. We're gonna have, have trying to dig deep. But I'll tell you what. Uh, let me let me start because uh, yeah. this is one that you've recently just watched for the first time. But some okay. of his groundbreaking, and I'll, I'll call them special effects because I think a lot of people sometimes mix up special effects and visual effects, and I think sometimes they're the same thing, especially in the pre CGI era. But mm-hmm. some of the special effects that he was putting together. Uh, especially with someone named Rob Bowden for The Thing, something Ooh. that you just watched. I mean, great choice, yeah. That was like, I mean, that was yeah. that was when he started to transition because, like, he started his career in the seventies. He won a couple Emmys or was nominated for a couple Emmys, uh, or no, he won he won two Emmys, yeah, uh, for early TV work. Uh, and then this is like his transition into movies was in the eighties, you know, and. Um, you know, Heartbeats was 1982, but then The Thing was the same year, and it's like, you know, just uh, that that thing is a, a showcase of, you know, special effects and, and creature design and, and everything, you know, so. I'm uh, with you. It, it is extraordinary. Where coming to the movie late as I did, um, I can still sit here and say, you know, even though I've watched the movie 31 years, you know, well, 41 years after it came out. Um, I've never seen anything like it, like his work uh, of just the twisted body horror and to, and to be able to convey some of those like actors expressions and looks and, and the modeling work. And then, of course, the just the textures, whether it's the wet and bloody or it's the furry and, and warped, it's just so off the charts in the thing where it, it's disturbing so much that you it's unforgettable. Um, and, and, and it's not and it, you realize how much practical effects is there that he that he's doing in terms of like like we will see it along his whole career just the the physical work the practical work the model work the 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 detail the hair i don't know how he does what he does but yeah I, i've never seen any I, i've never seen anything before or like it even though i'm coming at it 41 years later it's it's you you make a good point there about like the hair and that like he he does this thing where and we'll see this because I'm sure both of us are going to probably pick the Terminator too. Also, I but, um, got to, yeah. you know, his, his ability to kind of meld like, like that, like you said, that body horror of, you know, someone mm-hmm. like ripping off a piece of their face and there's some, an exoskeleton underneath or yeah. uh, the thing has a couple, I mean, I knew the thing was something special when I watched it for the first time when like, you know, there's, there's kind of a rule in cinema, like, you know, you don't kill dogs on camera and you don't kill kids on camera. And like when that freaking dog like splits in half and like something comes out of it, like I was like, oh, my God. And then the one that always kind of gives me the willies is when um, uh, the, the, the guy's trying to put pressure on the guy's chest. Oh. And then and then his hands just go like crash right into oh, his body. It's so gross. Yeah. But like, yeah, there's I think there is kind of that level of, um, uh, you know, skin. Yeah. And. And and not blood like gory blood, but like just you know like I, I kind of look at it as like uh, you know when you have a scab, you know like it's kind of got yeah. that te- texture to it. And probably why he won, you know, partially was one of the people behind Jurassic Park because that was the kind of the first time you saw like scales mm-hmm. and texture that you could really feel, like you know, on yeah. like you could almost feel it and touch it, you know. So it was pretty yeah groundbreaking stuff. But the thing is kind of like I, I would say. I mean, I, I don't know how the full history in front of me, but I mean, I would say probably his first and his, very memorable, yeah. you know, standout I, performance. If you want, to I agree. I mean, that has to be his big break when the Terminator is two years later, and you know, and even little stuff like Starman is two years later. But uh, mm-hmm. no, I'll stay in that creature feature vein where before we get to the meta, metal and technical ends of like Terminator, three of the things I had on my list are kind of all the same at about the same era where there's a combination of kind of the CGI supplements here and there, but also just at some point you still have to kind of get out there and do a practical version of a monster. Um, I've got that wheelhouse of like 96. Let me get my years right from like 96 to 99. There is, um, I'm a big fan of the ghost in the darkness, the, the lion uh-huh. movie with, uh, with Val Kilmer and, and Michael Douglas, where Fantastic. again, it's not as overtly explicit and loud as something like the thing, but subtle. Mm-hmm. Subtle to get the the lion work to look as good as it does, or to get the wounds to look as good as it does, or the makeup work to look as good as it does. Um, same thing for the relic in '97. I, I kind of again, two kind of Chicago museum movies mm. a little bit there, where um, you know, uh, Tom Sizemore is fighting this warped monster of certain kinds, and CGI comes in and takes over when the thing has to really, really move. But in the practical sense, you still have this really 
you know, kind of hulking, stalking monster that looks really good and just otherworldly, where again, I don't know anybody else who can pull that off unless you're doing something cute like Jim Hansen. And then the third is probably more CGI than practical, but it just looks so much damn fun. And that's Lake Placid from 99, where, ah. where, where, where Betty White's feeding a goddamn gator a cow. And it, it's just <laughs> like, that's the fun part about Winston is like, he can make things that are just absolute pinnacle level stuff of awe and wonder. And then he's making three movies like I'm talking about that are just serviceable little modest hits that just have that extra panache thanks to what he can do to give a little realism to something that's a little more B-movie. And the the fact that he can do that, the fact that he'll take those jobs and not just wait around for Spielberg or wait around for Cameron, he, he's out there doing, you know, just, you know, the workman's work is really impressive to me. Well, and, and I, but I, I do think that just, just the ones that you mentioned, just the yeah. films you mentioned already, um, you've got uh, Stephen Hopkins who did Ghost in the uh-huh. Darkness. That's someone who uh start started out um in horror mm-hmm. you know like with nightmare on Elm street five and yeah um and kind of has a like not a knowledge but probably an appreciation for that kind of stuff so he he knew who to go to right um you mentioned uh the was the relic that's peter himes, peter himes? okay because so you got with, into days in there too yeah yeah he worked with peter himes a few times and I, that's peter himes seems like like a craftsman who kind of understands yeah what you need for this kind of stuff so you know, like I know that he didn't necessarily wait around for all the directors, but I think he was probably sought out, sought out yeah. by them because you know he's got um, so many directors mm-hmm. that he worked with multiple times. You know, not only just the Spielbergs, but yeah. you know he worked with Carpenter twice, uh, John Favreau, Stephen Hopkins twice, Peter Hyams twice. Um, well, you got and even on a lower level, you got a guy like Steve Miner who did like, you know, Friday yeah. the 13th, three and like Placid, you know, little well, guys yeah. that come up in horror, like birds of a feather, you know, well, that, that's the place. other thing too is, well, what a lot of people forget, I don't know the full history of Friday the 13th part three, cause yeah. I'm not well versed uh, in that, that franchise, but you got me beat. but I know that's the first one with the hockey mask. And, okay. and if I'm reading his history correctly, he did do some visual effects for Friday the 13th part three, but, um, I guess it was unused, but even uh, even his unused stuff is, you know, he's involved with some of the most iconic, you know, mm-hmm. he did some Jason work, it appears. Like, yeah. so even, you know, even uh, stuff they didn't use, he, he was somehow involved in, in some iconic uh, characters of cinema there, you know, with uh, Jason, because regardless of the film quality, everyone knows who Jason is, you know, so. That's right. But, um, well, you know, I... Well, there's obvious ones. I mean, Predator kind of has the interesting history because Predator actually was a failed monster at first. I mean, there's always these those um, images you'll see where it kind of looks like a standing cricket, and Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme was in the in the body, and they had to abandon it because it looked so bad, and eventually it became the iconic Predator design. Um, what a, a I was going to go into days for one of them because I, I really enjoy the uh, the the Satan design in that. Yeah, um, good pick. But but one that I think does not get enough credit. I think it does, but it's it's just so, it fits so flawlessly into the movie that people forget it's actually um, excellent. Stan Winston work, and that's uh, Galaxy Quest. Great pick. Uh, yes, Saren, Saren and his like buddy, like his his second in command, like those. The articulation, yeah, like the the um, one thing I always loved was whenever. Uh, well, by the way, the, the the villain of Galaxy Quest, Saren, I believe, is named after a film critic that tore apart. Like I think a couple oh, of the, the studios. I think Andrew. Oh no, it was Saris. Sorry, Saris. Okay. Uh, Saren is from the game Mass Effect. My bad. But yeah, Saris. Uh, I guess it was based on Andrew Saris. I think who's a film critic. I guess maybe pissed off a few uh, people in the studio, but. Um, you know, just it, his the combination of like, it's one thing to like have a puppet or a CGI thing. It's another one to have them react to their environment. The cool thing about uh, Saris was he would like, you know, his he kind of moved his eyebrows when he spoke, and he also had these kind of like metallic wing things. So like when he would get angry, the wings would like pop up or mm-hmm. fade down. Like there's just so many moving pieces and parts to it. Uh, it just makes it a really compelling character. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely love. Um, I think that's quest. I think that's a theme we're seeing is like because he is so good at makeup, which means you have the humans covered. He also has just 
a, such a dynamic design for creatures and technology where you got that guy doing both. I don't know who else can do that and, and do it at such mm -hmm. a high level that you merge the two together, be completely cost effective. You never hear about these movies that he does being, you know, um, overbloated in terms of budget, even if you get something like Terminator 2 and some of these big blockbusters mm -hmm. like Batman, like his stuff is just icing on the cake by the time you get there. But uh, it's just, it's so impressive what he was able to do at two artistic areas for likely less than we see massive amounts of money sunk into lesser work today. It's, it's I know we do that all the time in this show, but uh, just what the, what the, I wish people could just go back and go you know, watch an old codger like him just kind of show people up today. Like it just looks well, so much better. Well, yeah. And the other, the other thing um, I actually just watched a um, mini documentary on this movie, uh, which I'll tell you in a second, but um, the monster squad was, mm. that was, um, my understanding, at least if I watched the documentary correctly, I watched a lot of stuff, but they couldn't really use the um, universal monsters that they wanted to do. Okay. So Winston had to go in there and kind of create something new, but also that is understandably the universal monsters, but not, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. to, go, to go in there and kind of blend that, like, Okay, let me let me take these uh, 1930s and 40s concepts of, uh, and plus the the uh, cultural, um, you know, ubiquitousness of these characters, and then kind of make it my own thing while also making it universal. No pun intended. Uh, sure, is a pretty interesting feat because I, I I do remember the the Wolfman, and I think I can't remember what they call him. I, they don't call him the. The creature from the Black Lagoon. I think he's like the Squid Man or something. Forgive. I know there's a lot of uh, yeah, a uh, Gill Man. They call him Gill Man, and like they just kind of yeah. like they kind of have like that uh, '80s um, uh, look to the, like because like Gill Man kind of has that kind of gooiness of like the Predator, but like he also has that kind of feels like the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's just kind of a mm -hmm. I think I think that's an underrated one from him um, in terms of you know. Uh, you know, going with uh, appreciating what came before and then kind of putting your own yeah. spin on it, I guess. Well, before we get too deeper into his filmography and maybe hit some of the higher hits, um, let me take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum, all things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry the killer's behind you. All right, welcome back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what? that's the thing I was saying before, just a workmanlike area where you could tell he's reading some scripts or getting in, invites to things where he'll find a little note of something that inspires him, and it doesn't have to be a, a paycheck-chasing thing for him, it feels like. It's amazing. Um, another Here's another little deep cut for you. Uh, this is one, I don't know if you've seen this one, um, but uh, Toby Hooper, the poor Toby Hooper, who... Uh, always seems to be on the precipice or always seem to be on the precipice of great fame. And then when he makes probably his biggest movie in terms of budget and exposure, uh, Poltergeist, he, he doesn't even get credit for it because everyone says Spielberg directed it. You know, he kind of, after Poltergeist kind of struggled getting movies made and he right. kind of digged, he kind of dipped in and out of like B movie to Z movie grade stuff. Uh, but in 1986, they did give him uh, a little, um, not much. I mean, $7 million budget, but kind of a, a 50s throwback called Invaders from Mars from 1986. Uh, and uh, the creature designs in that are pretty exceptional. Uh, and at one point, um, much to the dismay of um, Academy Award winner Louise Fletcher, uh, at one point she is gobbled up by like a, a giant <laughs> Martian creature that's kind of on two legs, kind of looks like, uh, kind of looks like that, um, that little weird creature in Galaxy Quest that they they transport okay. up and it explodes. It kind of looks like those, but on a bigger scale. Uh, but yeah, Stan Winston and John Dykstra, another famous visual effects um, artist, nice. uh, did Invaders from Mars, and that's one I, that's one worth checking out for perhaps the for for the production design and the visual effects and creature design. Maybe not the movie itself, which isn't yeah. that great, but yeah. 
No, I'll I'll pivot from there. I've not seen that one. Um, I'll pivot from there to his collaborations with Tim Burton. Um, you know, mm. the, he has three yeah. combinations with Burton. Uh, the first of which I think is is one, arguably maybe because of volume and because of quirkiness and uniqueness at the time, like probably his best makeup work, which is Edward Scissorhands. Uh, just oh sure, just um because it's I mean everyone goes straight to Johnny Depp in that movie, but like the fact of what he's able to do to kind of create. Um, just the other people to make Winona Ryder look good, to make suburbia kind of pop a little bit with some pulpy color. And obviously, and then of course, yeah, the work that goes into Johnny, but uh, just um, from top to bottom, I just really appreciate the work he did there. And then obviously when you can, when you do Batman Returns, it, you're, it's a big showy part because of the transformation in Danny DeVito and even a little bit of the transformations uh, in terms of just even color work to kind of look at Michelle Pfeiffer to kind of almost be just porcelain in the way that she looks as, mm. as Catwoman, And then, um, and then probably the, uh, the, you know, the exploded tube of toothpaste is big fish in 2003, where ah. he, he's just throwing everything out there at hundred miles an hour. Cause he can. And, and Tim Burton doing the same thing with, you know, all the little quirky circusy kind of characters. And there's the uniqueness of just all, probably the highest volume of work he did with, with Burton. But at the same time, I don't know if the quality is as good as, as scissor hands because it was still more practical then. And then CGI kind of, dips his toe into big fish a little bit but well yeah and it comes down to like i said people that maybe not even even seen edward scissorhands knows what edward scissorhands looks like you know right whereas i don't i don't even remember big fish i'm not a huge um yeah uh what do you call it uh tim burton guy myself but um but yeah i mean edward scissorhands kind of an iconic looking mm-hmm. uh character you know right um i can't go without mentioning um a couple of stuff from the 90s Go ahead. Uh, two that are bad movies and one that I absolutely adore that people think is bad. But he did the uh, uh, kangaroo makeup for Tank Girl, which I love. Uh, made, sure. ice made ice tea into a kangaroo. Um, Congo, which had some pretty amazing. Definitely. Uh, not a great movie, obviously kind of made because of the combination of Michael Crichton and Jurassic Park being so successful that they were like, let's get another kind of right pseudo animal thing out there and it's not that great uh and then also one that's very bad is island of dr moreau but i, I do uh, remember some yeah. of the some of the effect of makeup effects where it's being very um ahead of his time chilling, i'll say it like that chilling. Yeah. it's very chilling it's, there's a it's some twisted chilling stuff yeah. I, again story delivery is a mess but his work stands yeah. out it's it's sure. it is chilling is a great word for it yeah. um I mean, if I'm going to be the guy that, you know, still toots the horn of big filmmakers, like uh, if he did three, you know, he did three collaborations with Burton, he did four with Cameron. And obviously sure. two, three, all four of them are complete watersheds where um, mm-hmm. I just recently watched Aliens for the first time in a long time. And we're going to do a show on it in our little series of rewatches coming up here or that's ongoing by the time you get this recording where um, we'll probably talk about more in this show. But just the idea of like the multiplication he was able to do with the initial designs from the Scott film. Uh, just you know, move a little better, look a little better, and obviously the volume of which by bringing in that big old queen is just—it's uh, just so damn good. Well, um, those are just those are just expert. I mean, when you, you go with Burton, Cameron, and Spielberg, no matter yeah. what people think about those, those three are definitely you know uh, craftsmen. You know that that know where to put the camera and what to do That's with right. it to get a style, and they they got the right guy because I mean. Okay, let's uh, let's just look at. I mean, I'm going to look at both Burton, Cameron, and Spielberg. What they worked on, right? I mean, this is just a murderer's row of films. I mean, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Big Fish, Terminator, Aliens, Terminator 2, Avatar, Oof. Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park: The Lost World, AI, Artificial Intelligence, War of the Worlds, and Indiana Jones: and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I believe yeah. came out post his death. But uh-huh. that's just that's nuts. Like that's no. just stupid. But. but- <laughs> I mean, by, by working and that's, and that's the fun thing is like by working with just game changer directors, here we are talking about them. But, but I mean, I think there's a chance we, I mean, the, obviously the, the three Oscars, the four Oscars he won are four, you know, three of those watershed movies we're talking about aliens, Terminator two and Jurassic park. But mm-hmm. there's a good chance we would remember this guy had he never made even those three. I mean, well, his time work is just that damn good. Yeah, Everybody knows what a predator looks like. Everybody right. knows Terminator. what Edward Scissor's ha- Scissorhands looks like. Um, you know, I don't think people could ever forget, you know, the Penguin and Batman Returns. No. So good. You know, um, 
like I said, the thing. I mean, the thing has kind of always been underappreciated throughout mm-hmm. history. Um, though I will, <laughs> I'll give a little shout out to uh, because after the Terminator and before Aliens, uh, he did do a a. a f- <laughs> I'll say a C grade, not even a B grade movie, mm-hmm. horror movie that I grew up watching on uh, Joe Bob Briggs Monster Vision on TNT, but uh, uh, Ghoulies in 1985, which right. has the uh, iconic, and anyone who's a horror fan knows it's iconic, of the Ghoulie coming out of the toilet and the tagline, it'll get you in the end, which <laughs> is kind of one of my favorite double entendre catchphrases yeah. on a movie poster. But like, even that's a little bit of a deep cut, but anyone, especially who's into horror or like full moon or any of that stuff knows the ghoulie out of the toilet, even if they never saw any of the ghoulies movies. So never saw it, but I cannot forget that like VHS (laughs) cover of the video store. Cause that's right. That (laughs) That is, uh... it's a, it's a jar right there. Well, um, uh, do you have any other ones you want to pick before we get, I wanted to get into his directing a little bit cause it's unique and interesting and kind of, kind of. Not well, tragic, I, but sad. But sure, yeah. no, I'll do. Um, I'll do a couple of things where obviously the the advent of CGI kind of pushes his pushes his work into that area where how much can he do in both directions with the, with his makeup and with his practical, but at the same time, what can he contribute to special effects in another way? And a lot of times, the stuff that he's able to do with practical can kind of be the saving grace to the maybe the messy stuff that's beyond him in the CGI department. Where a movie like The Time Machine in two thousand two, where I I, mean, I loved it then in 2002 where I hit my jaw on the floor in terms of enough mm-hmm. visual effects where by today's standards, it's messy and not mm-hmm. great where I would love to see somebody take another crack at that story in that movie. But by the time his version of the, the subterranean monsters get here at the end with Jeremy Irons leading the charge, like you're back, you're, you come out of the CGI and you're back into the, you know, in on the ground doing some stuff that really, really looks good. And then um, it's the, and another example would be something like War of the Worlds, where they, when when Spielberg isn't cooking with his obviously top shelf ILM CGI, the stuff on the ground still looks really really good. Um, the man passed away in 2008. We were talking about it, just like what his last credits were. He was only 62. Um, I if I remember correctly, his death was, um, you know, oh my myeloma. So I mean. It, suffering for many years with it, died peacefully at his home where if the guy had like, I'm trying to, before we talk about him being a director, I, I I would love to project like the next 10 years of what he would be. Had he made it to like 2018, you know, like had he seen like the bulk of the, cause he, that hot start with Iron Man opening up the MCU and that suit looking dime, like a million bucks versus what they would do later. Like, I wonder how, I wonder what his work would look like in this big blockbuster era if the MCU would have stick with him a little longer, you know, with him being around, like what, what would his career look like with 10 more years? Well, it's interesting. The MCU is a, an interesting path to do what if on, because yeah. I think that what, what people forget now is we're in that era now of multiverses and talking trees and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, when the MCU started, especially phase one, with the exception of Thor, um, which they tried to ground. It was right. very science heavy, realistic level. When I say realistic, you know what I mean? I'm not saying like it wasn't sure. fantastical. It was like, okay, Captain America got his powers through a serum and Iron Man is built from technology. He doesn't have superpowers. And, uh, you know, uh, the Hulk was a science experiment gone wrong and Hawkeye and blah, blah, blah. Um, it became more fantastical, but I wonder what would have happened if they did steer more towards that. Like, I think a film like Age of Ultron, which I, I think is one of the worst MCU films, mm-hmm. might have been, because of its fusion, like someone like Vision, yeah. where it's that fusion of, like, human material and the technological. Like, I, I think Vision as a design, I mean, obviously it was designed in comic book form first, but in terms of translating it to the screen, it's it's a it's a nice design. I have no or, problem with the Vision design. Yeah. But I would love to have seen his take on Vision. I think that would be right up his alley. Might have changed. That I would and think, Ultron might have, might yeah, have changed. I would, I would love his practical robotic take on Ultron. Like, if you can put a, yeah. a physical Ultron, almost more like, because I know you have to, you can tell the CGI was trying to 
greatly animate a mouth in order to get that performance to come through with Gene Spader and whatnot. But uh, like, if they could have like, I don't know if you've seen the comic Ultron with like uh-huh. that that wide jowled open jaw where yeah. you could you could tell he's not articulating like lips the way that Optimus right. Prime got ruined in the Transformers movies because we have to make him talk. No, rather than a voice coming from a shape, go ahead and let a voice coming from a shape because maybe it's more intimidating than one that's like just gesticulating to you. Like I would love to see an uh, like a, a Jack Kirby fusy, you know, Ultron instead of the, the CGI. I mean, not in Spader's voice does does the work, but softer sure. CGI, you know, or more practical, smooth surfaces. So, yeah, yeah, no, that would have been a great. You know, the, the, the thing that I mean, this would have been right before his death, but yeah, one th- one thing that really surprises me, and I would have loved to have seen it because I've been so highly critical um, of it, is the Transformers movies. I'm really surprised mm. he didn't work on those. Yeah, that seems right up his alley too. Like, I kind of feel like. Did he was he burned by Bay? I know he had that one one cracker working with Bay on Pearl Harbor. Was that a big enough disaster where he stepped away? I don't know. I don't. The story know. I, don't I don't really know. What did he even do on Pearl Harbor? I'm not. I'm not it's yeah. not a criticism. I'm just saying I don't know what he would have. Let me do a little digging here while you're talking. Yeah, I don't know what he would have really contributed to Pearl Harbor outside of some technical stuff that maybe I'm just not aware yeah, of. I assume a fact, um, you know, but yeah. But I don't know if that would have burned him, but. Um, no, I, I just I'm kind of surprised. I would have liked to have seen. Uh, I, I think I think Transformers has course corrected and so. get, given the people what they want. I, I know that's I know fan service is not a um a great thing all the time, mm. but I think when you're making a franchise based on uh, what was essentially uh, toy commercials, <laughs> you know, right? That were you know you wanted them on TV and you wanted them in your home, like. They did a great job with like Bumblebee and the Rise of the Beasts of like going back to like the '80s aesthetic of like let them look like actual Transformers that we knew about. Yeah. Whereas like the Michael Bay stuff is just so convoluted and impossible to like understand like when they're transforming and yeah, it's a little much. Just, just looks too much. I would love to have seen this take on Transformers, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he did get to have some, you know, like I said, he he did have a, a say with avatar he did get a little mm-hmm. say with iron man he did get some with terminator salvation I, I i wonder if he would be you know this happens with i was thinking about this the other day this happens with um cinematographers too True. um like when the landscape changes you know like like somebody like uh like a dean cundy right mm-hmm. like a guy who's like a legend of like 80s cinema right yeah like i'm pretty sure like some of the most recent stuff that he did was like Jack and Jill, you know, with yeah, Adam Sandler. They get reduced. Like, yeah, let me look uh, them up. I remember, um, uh, I think it was the guy who did uh, cinematography on the 40 year old version um, mm-hmm. was like somebody like like Conrad Hall or something. It wasn't Conrad yeah. Hall, but it was somebody like big, but like th- this is like yeah. the only chance they have to use film anymore. So here's here's Dean Cunney, and you're right. Dean Cunney came up like Apollo 13, you know, um, Flintstones, Jurassic Park, Hook, like Back to the Future's Part One, Two, and Three. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the guy was in 80s and 90s, like, yeah, I, I figure, I mean, probably a, a guy, just a top flight guy. But you're right. By the time you get to 2004, 2003, he does two Nancy Myers movies in a row: Parent Trap, What Women Want. Then it's Looney Tunes back in action, Garfield, The Holiday Back with Myers. Nice, admirable romantic comedies, but a far cry from Jurassic Park. Sure. And then, and then, yeah, you're right. The Spy Next Door, Jack and Jill, his career's kind of sunk after that. Crazy kind of love. Diablo's an attempt at some action. And, and then he, he hasn't made a movie since 2020 and only one yeah. in, and, you know, in like three and ten years. So and I'll, get, and I'll, I'll get to my point on that. But uh, like another yeah. one, it was, it was Jack Green, uh, okay. one of Clint Eastwood's go-to cinematographers. Um, so you know, you're saying with the times pass a guy like Winston by like, Oh, we could do this in post and see Jets. Damn. We don't need you. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, Jack green went from being the guy who got nominated for the Oscar for cinematography front forgiven. Yeah. You know, and bridges of Madison County. And he ended up doing, you know, um, 40 year old version and yeah. my best friend's girl and diary of a wimpy kid. I mean, there's nothing oh, wrong with doing no. those. I'm just saying that like, as, the, need, the yeah. need for that stuff went away or and the less of the use of film too and and this was this was one of the problems i hated about um that last ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. 
um, and this this will tie into Stan Winston, I promise. But there was an effort, and I and I and I would if I would give them one of those ribbons that says "You tried" uh, right. for Ghostbusters Afterlife, because amongst the immense product placement in Walmart, in which they're buying Baskin Robbins ice cream and the little marshmallow men are killing each other and, right. and doing stuff, there was like one shot of like the what are those those demon dog things? There was yeah. like one shot of it where you could tell it was an actual puppet. You mm-hmm. know, like they actually made an effort for like one shot for Paul Rudd to interact with a puppet. Right. You know, but unfortunately, you know, that was like one minute out of the rest being all CGI that it made it look too fake because it was just it was surrounded by computer generation, you know? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if because anytime a studio has tried to do things, uh, one of the, the biggest examples, and this is the reason why I haven't seen the film, it's, it's one of the few things like I've refused to see, uh, was the Thing prequel. It was just mm. called The Thing. But apparently they made the entire film with practical effects, and the studio said, this is not a good idea, and they refilmed it all with CGI. Oh, um, so they were, this is the 2011 thing. I think Yeah, I'm looking at that you now. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of like the, the studios don't trust special effects anymore. Like they, they truly only trust like visual effects, you know, like from Gosh. CGI. And it's, it's kind of a shame because, and I wonder if Stan Winston would even, I mean, I think a lot of people forget how, um, not practical Iron Man was, but compared to, you know, by the time he got to Endgame, the, the, in terms of the visual effects and mm-hmm. and things like that, it, it was a different game, you know, like, um, and I, I wonder if, kind of like those cinematographers, I wonder if he would have just been phased out. I mean, he obviously had a hand in so many creations that, like, you know, he'll always have his name on it. I mean, like, as long as there's Predator movies, Alien movies, Terminator movies, you know, he'll always get the credit. But I wonder if he would even have the chance to create anymore, you know, because of the environment that we're in. Right. Um, superhero films, which are ha- have been dominating the market for the last 10 years or so. Uh, obviously, we're seeing some pushback to that and, and a downgrade in quality recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also kind of based on prior existing things. So right. I, I think we have to figure out like what would what would be something I'm trying to think of a uh, something that's come out in the last 10 years that would be a truly original design that he could have worked on. Maybe he would have maybe he would have latched on to somebody like a Neil Blomkamp. Maybe you know, and, and had yeah. like Neil Blomkamp has that weird I got one like, for you. Yeah, what would you got? Um, I got two. I think maybe I could see a guy like Nolan getting into him because Nolan okay. likes practical stuff and stuff. Like maybe yep. he's got his finger in something like Tenant or even Oppenheimer this past year. We're like, hey, Stan, I need something to look like this, or you know, I need I, like some of these sure. attempts at practical effects. Another one that I think would be that almost feels like an homage to him, um, mm-hmm. but it's obviously done with CGI, but done in CGI in a in a in a, in a um cost conscious way is the movie that katie glywell and i reviewed while you were gone for on a little school hate is which is the creator mm. gareth edwards where yeah. you know you have really practical you have I, you have location shooting with the varnish of the small varnish of special effect robots without being the entire scene and frame where i think a guy like stan would have gotten would have had some fun there um yeah you know and, and also i could see and, and you, so I think what we're seeing is like you'd have to go to either someone that was really design specific, like a Neil Blomkamp, or right the traditionalist like a Nolan. Like what kind of surprises me that I don't think he was ever used is like I'm surprised Tarantino never used him because um, yeah. Tarantino was kind of known, especially uh, in the later output, like starting from Death Proof on anything that kind of had some of that ultra violence in it. You know, he used some of the. Um, uh, what's the name? Uh, I can't remember the name of their company. Off the, I think it's HBG or whatever it's called. Yeah. Like the, the special the the visual effects makeup guys that are kind of legendary for like The Walking Dead and and things like okay, that. Okay, sure. Um, you know he used them, so I'm kind of surprised at some point he never uh, used um, you know used Winston for anything. But he seems like somebody. Maybe eventually he would just yeah. because of the 
the, the you love for that practical stuff. I, got, I don't know. I got, I got one more where at the end of his career, you know, he's got a finger in Shutter Island with Scorsese, where mm-hmm. yeah. maybe a year or two later, Hugo, where he's like, hey, I know yeah, you want to yeah. do that. I know you want to do this in 3D, but I tell you what, I can you give me a soundstage. I'll be a train station for you. And where Winston could put some tech yeah. heavy in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I could definitely see that. So you were talking about his career as a director. Tell me about that. Um, yeah. So I don't know why. Like, I, I didn't know that he, you know, uh, did like movies like that. I didn't know he got a chance to um, to 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 direct anything. Mm. And he does have a very short, um, uh, very career. Sorry, I was looking up the the comp- company on. Uh, Death Proof, and I still can't find it. Oh, it's okay. like uh, Greg Nicotero and all of them. I think it's oh. called. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Never mind. It doesn't matter. Uh, somebody knows out there, and, and I'm losing my horror cred for not remembering. But mm-hmm. uh, Katie out there will will know. Uh, but regardless, uh, yeah. So he he was only able to direct three movies. Okay. And and they kind of um, like I said, it's not a tragic thing. Like it's not like he had like this tragic career because another thing I think we we didn't mention yet is that besides having his own makeup studio that he built, you know, in, in the late seventies that pumped out all of this amazing work that still exists today, I believe. Um, he was also with James Cameron and somebody else, the a founder of probably the second most known visual mm-hmm. effects studio in the world, in digital, digital domain. domain. Yeah. And obviously he, he ended up leaving that company, but he still founded it. So, I mean, this guy had his hands in a lot of pies and so it's not like his career was lacking, but, it, it did feel like kind of whenever he wanted to try to put his put his hands in that directorial pool, just something kind of be it bad luck or you know the the end of a genre. I mean, he he had three films. His first film was the excellent uh, Pumpkinhead, uh, which is a terrible name, I understand uh, for a, for a film, but um, it's a it's essentially a a, a very creepy. Um, fairy tale uh, kind okay. of a dark fairy tale it's basically pumpkin head is this supernatural creature that has to be uh summoned you have to bury him from uh, unbury him from his grave and summon him and bring him to life and he he exists for vengeance it's usually for like you know if you were scorned or cheated on or something it's but it, it kind of has this very fairy tale quality to it and it, uh, it's a beautiful looking film cinematography by bojan bazelli it's it's a really great film but you know this was 1988 um you know horror is about to kind of it's on its in terms of the the era that was the freddy the jasons the franchise mm-hmm. horrors the stuff like that it's it's on the way out you know so he's kind of making pumpkin head 1988 kind of towards the end of this era of films where people aren't really taking this kind of stuff seriously anymore you know Okay. Um, also, you know, it's hard to sell a movie called Pumpkinhead about a, a gigantic, you know, demon creature. Wow. Kills people. Is, it, is uh, it easier or harder than a gnome named Norm? Well, that was the thing. So <laughs> I, th- that was the biggest surprise, right? I was looking at it and I was like, okay, I got three films to watch here. Gnome named Norm comes out in 1990. So two years after Pumpkinhead. And I'm just like, there's no way this can be good. There's, there's just no way. And it's surprisingly not bad. Like it's not a bad movie. It's it's not great. Um but it's surprisingly okay and it has a lot of um you can tell a couple things are at work against it. Well, one the production company that was making it uh went out of business so they couldn't properly advertise it. Mm. Uh you do have just like Pumpkinhead another bizarre name that's hard to sell like if yeah. I went home and told my parents, like, hey, let's watch a gnome named Norm, they're going to be like, get the fuck out of here. Why right. would we watch that? Um, but yeah, if you have no advertising, no real release, and and nothing is really happening for it, and it's a weird movie to begin with, uh, also known as Upworld, and uh, I think my favorite was, it's also known in Spain, I think, as Nomo Cop. Um, oh, that's right, because it's a cop party thing, yeah. I think so. But uh, it's actually kind of a, a cute movie. It looks great, for one. I mean, the visual effects are excellent, as, as it would be. Um, but besides the lack of marketing and release because the studio was falling apart, um, there also is this thing where you're kind of like, it's PG, 
but they're not sure if they wanted to make it R originally. So, I mean, there's a lot of butts in it and a lot of, like, really adult humor. And you're not sure if it's made for kids or not. Right. Um, it's hilarious. But, um, yeah, you had two movies in those two years. And then um, kind of, you know, uh, kind of a forgotten, maybe not forgotten, but kind of another thing in cinema that I think people forget about is Michael Jackson mm. when he made music videos. I mean, he had... You know, John Landis made the Thriller video, which everyone still knows, and, and Martin Scorsese directed the Bad video. And right, but he was a very um, uh, Michael Jackson was very uh, keyed into, you know, uh, making cinema out of his music videos. He also had Captain EO at Disney, you know, that was Francis Ford right. Coppola directed. Like he was a very cinema conscious musical star. Um, but you know, ninety six, you know, he has this really cool idea for his uh, music for this song called ghosts. Uh, It was to be another 40 minute music video kind of thing with a story. Uh, And and the visual effects are excellent. It's actually a a nice blend. It's 96. So it's a nice, it's called Michael Jackson's ghost. It's it's directed by Winston and it's got this mixture of CGI. Cause there's like a skeleton. They use motion capture for like Michael Jackson to dance as a skeleton. It's pretty cool. Uh, But also a lot of cool makeup effects and costume effects and production design. But, you know, 96, Jackson's star was fade, uh, was fading in terms of actual popular music. Mm-hmm. You know, he was also in the public eye for all the wrong reasons. And yeah. it became more of a statement for Michael Jackson than anything else. Because the whole story, which bizarrely is written by Stan Winston, Stephen King, Mick Garris, and some other guy. Or Michael Jackson himself, probably. Uh, it's all about how, like, everyone comes from normal valley to go to michael jackson's house and tell him how much of a freak he is and how he should leave town and michael jackson's whole point is to show them that freaks are cool it's just wrong place wrong time again you know it's just like this was not the time for a michael jackson video especially one with michael jackson you know defending himself and the music just wasn't there i mean it wasn't a thriller it wasn't a bad Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of a case of bad luck, I think, and bad timing all along for his whole directorial career. And it's kind of a shame because I think that, you know, he obviously knows what looks good. Uh, and if he could just get the right collaborators, he could have had maybe, I don't know, is it, what's kind of a comp for a Stan Winston directing something? I mean, that would be like, well, you hear about a guy like... um it was like the stunt guys that are doing it now, like Chad Stahelski yeah, and David that, Leach and them, you know? That'd be the kind of jump that you're talking about in today's day and age. Or, um, yeah, because it wouldn't be like a music video director, like the way we talk about Fincher moving up or anything like that. Right, right. And that's the yeah. opposite, too. Like, this was, you know, this was the third attempt. Tornado, the Russos, you know, something like that. Yeah, this know? was like his third attempt at directing something. He obviously hadn't directed anything in six years. And this was kind of that thing. And then, you know, that was it. 96 yeah. was his last, you know, and obviously he lived until 2008. And he was still contributing to film. So oh, some of his I, best stuff, I feel like it's 96 on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like I'm not, I'm not saying he had this amazing misunderstood directing career, but I think it's worth, you know, it's three films, two and a half, really. Cause one's just a 40 minute music video, but mm-hmm. um you know, it's worth checking out so you can maybe we, we already just played the what if game if he hadn't died. Right. Um, I, I like to play the what if game. I watched all three of them in a row. OK. And, you know, and I was like, wow, there, there's a lot of promise there. You know, like yeah. I, I think yeah. I think Pumpkinhead is probably his most complete film in terms of he had studio backing. It was low budget, but, you know, it it looks the most like a film, you know, like it has sure. a. A, a complete story doesn't seem to have any issues with meddling with the studio or the studio falling apart or whatever. It's, it's really an audacious, uh, beautiful directorial debut. And it just, unfortunately just can never lift off from there. And I think it's kind of one of those, uh, another one of those great what ifs of history. Like what did this guy do behind the camera? Like, and they're all easy to find. I mean, Pumpkinhead and no mm-hmm. name norm are on to be, and you can find Michael Jackson's ghosts on YouTube easily. So. Right. Yeah, it's it's just another kind of what if of Hollywood history. Like, what if Stan, Stan Winston was kind of given the the belief that all these mega directors had in him for him to direct his own things? You know, because he he seemed yeah. to have a story. He had uh, whether you know it was a good thing or a bad, but like obviously his his uh, 
his inspirations went beyond just makeup and visual effects because with Pumpkinhead, with um, Gnome Name Norm and um, and Ghosts, he contributed for the stories. You know, he right. contributed to producing them. Like he had ideas, you know, that went beyond just you know just creating makeup. And I would have loved to have seen him maybe get a few mm-hmm. more things to direct, but you know, such is life. That's right. No, um, uh, raising a glass to the guy. Um, he's worth a show. This has been nice. I, he's just, yeah, a titan that I hope more people discover as we go. I think he, um, because his films, the, I mean, the, he's got so many cornerstones and so many big time things that we still look back on now as being revolutionary for their time and inspirational to now that between a guy like him, Harry Henry, Harry Harryhausen, and like, you know, like, I think that's a name that you will see mentioned in hollywood forever because i mean the the mm-hmm. stuff he was able to do and bridge and grow um spans too long with too many great things that he'll never be forgotten and that's so cool about that i just hope more people find more stuff from him yeah absolutely um for sure um all right so gang um i want you to uh follow us on twitter at cinephile fit uh on facebook cinephile his hissy fit podcast excuse me and instagram at cinephile fits uh, you can also find some awesome shirts, stickers, and all kinds of cinephile his fit swag on tpublic.com slash user slash ruminations radio network. Um, me and Don are both on Letterboxd. Come check us out. Come check out our film reviews and ratings. Uh, we are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. We appreciate your loyal listenership and our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile his fit is a ruminations radio network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive. If you enjoyed the show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Chill out, dickwad.